the way people deal with disappointments are going to essentially uh, determine their future, right? Um, right? And he would say like disappointments are constant, disappointments are certain, but disappointments can be conquered. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. It's an honor here to be on with Savitra Wilson, who is an entrepreneur. She's pretty much been an entrepreneur since she got out of college. She knew what she wanted to do. She went right to it. And so she is definitely, she definitely fits the profile of like, of what we like to have here on Disruption. She is, she doesn't fit into the narrative. She disrupts the narrative and uh, we're honored to have her on. So she's uh, started Resilia, uh, which is a company that used to be uh, Exempt Me. I believe that was the name. And it's, and she sa- she saw early on, there was an opportunity to scale it, to make it so the services she was offering, she could help to really uh, help nonprofits scale, help them enterprise. And She's raised, they think, over $3 million, one of only 11 black women to do so. I believe the only one in New Orleans to do so. I've actually had at least one of those other black women on, Don Dixon. So, Yeah, Don, yes. out of Ohio. Yeah, so of course, I'm, I'm out of Cincinnati. And uh, so she's doing some amazing things that you're going to learn about. We're going to talk about her journey. We're going to talk about how uh, the bumps along the road and how she's still growing. I'm sure there's it's not a linear path. And we're just excited to have her on. I, I got a chance to actually learn about her through a, I uh, can't remember which magazine it was, but it was talking about black women who have become millionaires and how they did it. So, uh, Savitra, we're just honored to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, I forgot to mention that she is a member of the wonderful, lovely ladies of Alpha Kappa Alpha. You know, we I love, we love that, that game. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot that, you know, but I just did. But I made sure to put it in, Savitra, so you don't have to give it to me. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. How's it going for you in this uh, COVID craziness world? Uh, How how, how, has this adjustment been just getting used to business in this environment? What's that been like? Oh, man, it's been a challenge for sure. I think it's been a challenge for everyone. So sometimes I feel like when I talk about it, I'm preaching to the choir. I think that people have had different challenges based on what you're doing. But um, we definitely did what everyone else did, right? Shut down the office, went home. Um, our team is still working from home, both in our New York and New Orleans office. And although the office is open, so they can go in and out. And so we do have some team members who are going in and out. But, you know, when COVID began to creep up, as far as New Orleans, it was in March. Um, yeah. We essentially were in the process of raising a Series A round. Oh, wow. So you can imagine that, right? The timing is so great, right? Yeah. What great time. Um, and I remember like the onset of COVID coming and I'm telling my attorney, look, we need to go ahead and get this round closed. <laughs> and we were able to successfully get it closed. And so we raised another $8 million, um, for the company um, in March. Congratulations. Awesome. And so yeah, and we were fortunate, right? Because it actually put us in a good um, financial cash position to continue to grow the company during COVID. And so we've added... Um, a little over 15 employees since March happened. And so it's really been a whole nother test to try to um, literally build a plane while you're, um, while you're flying, while you're flying. Right. And so like a whole nother layer to that. <laughs> yeah. Build the plane while you're flying, while there's a whole bunch of weather you didn't expect <laughs> while you're flying the plane. So, yes. I mean, across the board from the pandemic to, Black um, Lives Matter movement and murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor to unprecedented hurricanes here in the Gulf. Oh, I forgot it's you're like, in the Gulf. Yeah, it's, cra- it's been a crazy, crazy year and election. It's just it's it's a lot. It's a yeah, lot. This is the craziest ass election we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, I know people talk about craziness in the election and politics, but this is this is a whole new level of crazy. Uh, that we need to yeah, change very quickly. Yeah, that I tell folks, and this is not an equivalent. I saw on your Twitter that you talked about, you know, uh, Kanye running for president. And I actually love Kanye too, but he's just been man. Kanye was my favorite artist. You know, people don't understand. Me like, too. People don't understand like how much I just like. You know, after Katrina, I'm from New Orleans, so after Katrina, he was the one on stage. Like, I remember. Oh, don't care about black. I was like, that's my boy. Like, <laughs> I was, man, I reminisce. And then he went to the second place. I don't know what happened to the brother. Like, I, I think he's, I think he is a genius and I don't know how we got here, but just very quickly on this, I think he's, <laughs> I think he's a, <laughs> I think he is a genius. And, you know, I just think he just lost his way. And when you, 
you know, it just tells you that no matter what, uh, no matter how talented you are, people need support. They need mental support. They need spiritual support. They need they need that. And when you don't have an anchor around you, and I do really fundamentally fundamentally believe that his mother passing, it would have us like I'm really close to my mom, right? Like, yeah, I can see and understand how that can be a life changing event in your life. And if if you're not if your foundation is not right, that can that can knock you off. I mean, you remember? Yeah, who- I lost my mother at 21, right? Wow. And wow. People and I tell people all the time that I feel that people who do lose their mother um, or their the person that's closest to them, um, the, as I say, like the person that I knew for sure, 100% had my back no matter what, right? Um, is taken from you. That you generally go two ways, right? Either you spiral, which is what I think kind of happens to Kanye to your point, um, or you just like plow forward, right? And so yeah. I've just seen like a combination of those based on people who I've known who are super close to their mothers and they lost them unexpectedly, Absolutely. which is how I lost my mother. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. It doesn't become, I would say you learn how to cope, but it's never easy. I, I actually lost my sister this year and, and that. we lost her at the beginning of 2020 and it was, it's, it's hard for a lot of reasons. And also just to see the pain in my parents' eyes has been tough, but I can't imagine losing my mother that early. And this is, this brings me to a good point of something I wanted to discuss with you, particularly how your upbringing may have uh, influenced who you are right now. I didn't know the story of your mother, but I did uh, do some research and found out the story of, of your father passing away. And um, someone was, I can't remember who the person was, uh, who some, his adopted sister, who I think was put in charge of his estate. And then she took all the money, if I remember yeah. right. And your mother fought her and then lost a lot of money and went into debt fighting her. <clears throat> and since this, you talked about your mother, can you just talk about those experiences and how maybe it didn't play into it? If it just played into your life personally, you can talk about that fine. But Absolutely. if you see some way that it played into your journey in terms of uh, making you resilient. Your together, 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. Um, and. Yeah, I mean, it's played definitely a personal and professional, um, just it's held a personal and professional place in my life from a personal side. Um, you know, I felt that my father had did what he was supposed to do, right? Um, as this um, male figure wanting to leave more for his family, right? Than what was like left to him. He had built a successful company, um, and he unexpectedly passed away from a stroke, right? And so because he didn't have um, a lot of, of his ends like tied up when he passed away, that was able to happen, right? So my aunt um, basically oversaw all of his assets um, and instead of doing what she was supposed to do, right? Divvied it up between his kids, which I'm sure most people who pass away um, unless they have some riff with their family and children, are building this legacy, building something so that their kids can have something, uh, which I knew right. that was the case with my father. And so I do feel fundamentally that I would be a different person, though, had I came into money, right? Had I not had essentially lived a very, very like modest uh, first-generation college student going to college on full Pell Grant, you know, scraping up money, mom not being able to afford this or afford that, working constantly um, to ensure that we had um, the things that we did have, that I don't think I would be like the entrepreneur I am today. I don't think I would be like- You don't think you'd have the same drive? You don't think- No, you don't I, think- I don't. I don't think I would have. I think I would be probably just a little bit more, a lot more comfortable. And right. for me, with my parents passing away at a young age, it made me, as with anyone, very uncomfortable. And, you know, when they kind of tell you about like um, immigrants who come over to the U.S. and then they have these huge successes. So they found Google or they found, you know, right, right. this company or that company. I think it's a mindset that you just don't have anything. Right. Like you, and right. it's like you don't have anything. You look back. You can't go back. Um, you can't build out of your parents uh, basement. Um, you know, these things that generally would comfort or be your safety net is no longer there. And I think that that just definitely propelled me to um, work as hard as I work and want desire things that I want and like to leave a legacy um, as even maybe a substitute, right, for my parents not being there 
and not right. having the ability to give it to them. So I had to give it, I had to give it to someone. I had to build something for whether that's my team or whomever else. Um, and so I definitely think that uh, the loss of my father in that way. And How old were you when you lost your father? So I was eight. Oh, wow. I lost my father and I was wow. 21 when my mother passed away. Wow. That's incredible. It's, I mean, you, it, it's, as you talked about earlier, when we talked about mental health, I, I think it's, it's, I think it is harder for people that don't have that and less people by the numbers just show come out of those situations. But when you can come out of those situations, you come out stronger, you come out more determined. Um, and certainly that's been the case for you, but take me back to when you were younger, let's say eight. All right. Around that age, that formative age, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever. Mm -hmm. What did you want to be when you grew up, when you grew up and what do you want to be now? So then I, I wanted to be an attorney. Um, don't ask me why. I just felt like maybe the only person in the neighbor, the only person I knew who had something more was like an attorney, right? Right. Um, and but as I progressed in my teens, I actually did want to be more of like an entrepreneur. Um, and just from like the little bit I did know from my older siblings about like my father, um, I kind of got like the entrepreneur bug pretty early on. Um, I kind of think it is, it does run through your DNA. So I feel like I agree. that's in my DNA. Which is why I think you still would have been, I think you still would have done it. I think you, I think you underestimate yourself. I think you would have done it and perhaps you would have been able to just start earlier and maybe learn different lessons, but we can't go back in life. There's no, yeah, there's, maybe exist. I would have to go my, my dad's company. I don't know. <laughs> and, and then helped him and scale it. Like, I think it's in your, I think it's part of you, right? If you're in the right environment, it could be nurtured and you had enough of it where it was nurtured despite, despite the challenges, right? You, it was still nurtured where you can see the possibilities. Your dad died, but you saw him do it. That does mean something when you see your, your dad do it. And maybe when you saw your mother fight, I mean, you don't want to be in that position, but it showed you to keep fighting through because your, your mother still, I mean, I still made it through that, even though it was, it was a hard time, you know? Yeah. It kind of takes me something to something that my pastor, um, said once and he was like the way people deal with disappointments are going to essentially uh, determine their future right um right. and he would say like disappointments are constant disappointments are certain but disappointments can be conquered right and that's so i do feel like the way i've dealt with disappointments in life um and i'm definitely not a crowd with spilled milk although people are definitely bigger than spilled milk but i do feel like okay i'm about to say that's pretty that's, pretty, that's a lot yeah yeah i was like but i'm a big person I'm like cry get it out figure out how you're going to deal with it um how you're going to grieve whatever it is it doesn't have to be a loss of a person it could be a loss of something your business right uh people sure. have uh, are impacted um significantly many different ways it doesn't have to be necessarily like a loss a death of someone and my friends who um, experience like divorces, et cetera, that's also like a loss. Um, and you have to like grieve whatever it is that you're losing. And so I think about um, that in that in that sentiment, right? And all these things are like disappointments, letdowns. Um, but most importantly, it's like, oh, how do you grieve and how do you um, figure out, like, how do you move forward? Right. So uh, a related point to that, can you think of a time maybe in your uh, in your business or professional life? I mean, you've had obviously personal loss and tragedy, but can you think of time uh, about a time when you've had a failure or a setback and how you see that now as a setup for a future opportunity that 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 not going right or not going as you expected actually helped to form who you are as an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, one of the most humbling things that I think anyone who has started one business and went out to raise, to do a second business that they've had to raise capital for, right? Yeah. And so for me, raising capital I, is a humbling process. Period. Oh, it's so humbling. Oh, it's so humbling. Um, I'll tell you about and, mine in a second. Go ahead. And it's like, oh yeah, I want to hear that. Um, it's like people are just like punching you in the gut, right? Over All the and over time. And, over. <laughs> <laughs> and then I talk about like how particularly for us black uh, founders, it's like they keep moving the finish line. And so you get them what they need and they move the finish line farther. Like, it's always something, right? And so I think that the failures that I experienced in raising capital um, definitely made me an entrepreneur that I am in my tech company and why I have purposely kept an office um, and remain in New Orleans. Because once I raised the capital, I could have been like, Psh. I'm out, right? I'm out. Right. I'm going to go to another place where there's more tech founders, more of this, more of that. 
But I really felt that it was important to like build something where I was so that we can have not just me being the only black female that raised X, Y, and Z capital in Louisiana. Um, And so now I've raised more venture capital, not only of any black female founder, but of any female founder ever. Go go ahead. We got to have the the applause for that. That (laughs) That's awesome. You know, it's applause, but it's also sad. It is sad. Actually, it is sad. Yeah, it's sad. But you are breaking the narrative because you're going to you're helping to change that, which I respect that you're staying in in the it's why I stayed in, in Ohio, too. I respect that you're staying in the ecosystem and helping to build. Yeah. And I think it, it took a lot of just like gut checks along the way, and a lot of failures along the way for me to still want to do that. Right. And so I think that a lot of times we could look at it and we're like, OK, shoot, when I have the opportunity to leave, I'm leaving. I'm going to. Right. San Francisco, I'm going to LA, I'm going to New York, whatever. And we ha- we opened up an office in New York. But the reason why we opened up the office in New York was so that we could send resources back to New Orleans, right? And so now my New York team can essentially um, school my New Orleans team on stuff that they never experienced because they don't have the death of tech, um, you know, they don't have the death of the tech ecosystem there the way they do in right. New York. And so it's all about like, how do you bring resources to where you're from, to your community, to your people? Amen. And something you know, we'll talk about offline is, you know, the, the goal of really Disruption Now, we're, we're starting a, a platform to do that and really connect just black and brown entrepreneurs, just that and, and, and help not only raise money, but help connect us. Because there's enough, there's a good amount of us, but there's not enough to where we can at least make sure that we are connecting, know about each other and grow and build and and because that, that's how we're going that's how we're going to take it to the next level and we can do that in person but we can also do that digitally as well uh, but i want to tell you about my 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 quick story about raising money and it hasn't been with as a founder yet but it, that, that that's my next that's my next venture but i ran for office and i ran for uh, treasurer of the state of ohio uh actually got over two million votes lost the race right but uh it, it was a humbling experience running for off i assumed that all the contacts and uh, I had would make it easy to run for uh, to, to raise them. It was not easy. I raised about two and a half million dollars, but it was taxing. It was it was the it was it's a hard experience. You know, it's a ninety percent nose. <laughs> that's an accomplishment. Like too many people check the box. Like that's I mean, what you've done. That's like historical for a treasurer race. Like it was, like people running for governor stuff like that. So, but it was. And what I learned is, uh, have you ever seen the Wolf of Wall Street? I have. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen it, but there's this one line that that just I just keeps coming back to me. He just says, like, he said, look, your girlfriend doesn't like you. Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. You, you can't pay the bill. Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. Like, I want you to handle your problems by getting rich. And what he was saying was right. Like, it's just it's the sure persistence. It is hard, though. Right. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times I would go and go. I, I remember there was one contact I was trying to get to give some money. I must have called this contact 50 times. He would never return my call. He said, you got to keep calling. I'm like, God, you never return my call. But one day he gave $12,000. So oh, that's uh, right. So it's one of those things that, you know, you sometimes don't see it as over months and months, but you just got to keep, you got to have a good product too. I, I mean, I had a good, but beyond that, you got to keep moving forward. So it was, that's uh, true though. Cause it's kind of like, you got to just be persistent because you think that person is not seeing it, but they are. And yeah, you're like, yeah. man, this person, that's what I'm saying. Which has made this easy. He has, he has, he, he deserved this check. You know, like he has worked for this every dollar of this check. And I think about that when I invest or like donate. I think about that like, dang, like this person deserves every dollar of his effort. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that I'm putting this forward, it's made it easier. People, people know my work ethic, right? And they also know, like, okay, I have to either tell them no or invest because, like, he's going to keep. I'm not going to stop working. So people know that. And it's helped, but it was a the process part of it though. It's only the procedure like this. The process is like ninety eight percent, and that's the part that people don't understand. It's just, and it's grueling. It was very lonely. It was very challenging. Sitting in front of a desk and just calling people for four hours in a row sounds like it's easy, but it is not. <laughs> so it is, but it's a uh, but it taught me because nothing's been harder than that. Uh, but let, let's go back to your when you uh, think Solid Ground Innovations was your first uh, company. Is that is that correct, Savitra? Mm-hmm. Uh, Tell, t- take me back to that point and tell me what you would tell your younger self now. What advice, what advice would you give your younger self? And then the second part of this question, <clears throat> what advice would you ignore from others or maybe even from yourself? So shoot, this may be like a double answer. <laughs> <I prefer both laughs> That's because, all right. 
a good friend of mine, he's now on like Inc. 500 companies. He's also in New Orleans, one of the top like events, PR communications um, company here. And we both have built our strategic communications agencies to like multi-million dollar companies. And we sit around and we call ourselves like, oh, this is my accountability partner. And, you know, same here. And one thing that we said that if we could do it again, we would have went in and worked for another agency first. Hmm. Interesting. That, that's um, I don't hear people, most people tell me, tell me why. Yeah. To like learn what we didn't know. Like it was so much we didn't know because we were so, he ended up starting his agency because he was bringing in all these sales for um, another company, not an agency, but another company. Right. Um, I believe like pharmaceuticals and he didn't get a promotion that he got passed up for. Uh, he got passed up for a promotion and he was like, what? Like, I brought in more sales than anybody here. I'm leaving. And he quit and started his business, like, within a matter of weeks. For me, I was coming out of um, LSU. Um, I had built a rapport, like, in the community. And so I started doing, like, strategic communications for nonprofits first. Um, then I started doing getting into politics. So I know the hustlers too. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know that. Yeah. I ran communications for the first uh, black female mayor of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, okay. And so I was doing that work, but we just talked about all the missteps that we made just because we didn't know what we didn't know, right? right. You know, how to properly price, how to properly bill, et cetera. You're- that is an art. I'm learning. I'm Look, I, I'm learning, I have an agency too that does content marketing. I, I advise politics. So we're very similar there. I looked at your records. So we, have, we have a lot in common here. So it's, uh, <laughs> it, it is. It's tricky learning how to price right. Unless you yeah, know, there's like formulas and processes to do that. You're right, right. It's so many processes about even like starting a business and ensuring that you have your tax um, liabilities uh, set up. And particularly yeah. when you start hiring people, because one thing that we did was that the world, we live now more in this connected world where you can find these contractors and consultants that can help you yeah. drive your business. Then we were hiring people like W2 employees, you know, as soon as we had the opportunity. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and building like that. And so we just didn't know what we didn't know. Um, and fortunately, our companies, we were able to get through it, right? Right. Um, and we were able to like still build our companies and do X, Y, and Z. But, you know, we had a lot of trials and tribulations along the way. Um, to so it sounds through. like some advice you would ignore is to not not start a business right, right away. And so technically, <laughs> I could say, well, maybe I should ignore that, that my advice and say, no, girl, you just go out there. And you just fake it till you make it, but you got to make it though, right? Yeah, and you got to make it. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't tell. Like I've looked, because you know, I started my, my my whole career has been in public service before this, for the most part. It wasn't really a career. I mean, I was a I was a lawyer and did other stuff, but I was always aiming towards uh, being in public office in a ramp statewide office in Ohio. And that's why I did prepare for that moment, really, for the last twenty years. And then it obviously didn't turn out the way I thought it would, uh, but. <clears throat> But all of that experience did prepare me to do this. So it's not like I went right out and started a business. But, you know, I, I look at it and then you're kind of helping me feel better about it. I was like, well, maybe I should have started a business earlier because this is something I can clearly do. But, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't be the person I was unless I went through that experience. So, you know, thank you for that. You've given me some motivation today. Yes. <laughs> um, so you had a um, so originally when you did the business, uh, when you were looking at helping nonprofits, you, real, you came to a point where you realized that this can be uh, a software as a service. This can be, I can use technology uh, to really um, take this product and scale it to the next level. But you're not a tech person, right? So walk through the process because I think people have to, I think people go into, go into business and say, well, if I'm not a tech person, I can't do that. But I tell everybody if they're in business, you know, you, you are two things no matter what you are. If you're an accountant, you are a tech company and you're a media company. If you're no matter what you are, if you're a nonprofit, you're still a tech and you're a media because you have to know these things and do these things. But take take us through the fact that some people, when they when they think about tech, uh, tech, they just get into a you know they they go against the wall and figure I can't do tech. I'm not a tech person. I just don't know that. Talk to those people from a person for you. You're, you're not a tech person, so on and so forth. But you have a tech company. And you've raised now, I don't know how much you've raised now, is it eight or nine, ten million dollars, however much you raised. You went from being quote unquote not a tech person to running a tech company. Take people through that process and let them uh, overcome that barrier in their mind. 
that makes sense. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at it as well. So the first that I always tell people, if you're out there and you're working, you're looking for a marketing job or a sales job, sometimes people will not look at tech companies because they think they have to be technical too to join a tech company. But there are so many roles with inside of tech companies where you can fit, right? That you don't have to have technical backgrounds to work at a tech company. Secondly, starting a tech company, um, I think back to something that my friend Sherelle Dorsey said um, oh, coming on the show in a, few, in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. It's all a small yeah. world. This all this, this is a real small ecosystem. Sherelle um, had wrote about our raise, our Series A raise. And in the article, she called me like the antithesis to for, uh, for a tech founder, right? So I'm Black. I'm a um, woman. I'm from the South. I'm non-technical. And I'm a solo founder. So I'm like everything that they say you should not be if you start a right. tech a tech company. And so for me, my first company, um, Solid Ground Innovations, we were a communications um, and management agency, um, but we had an arm called SGI Cares that essentially sold to nonprofit organizations. Uh, we were essentially providing technical assistance or support to their back office, right, in lieu of full-time employees. Right. And then we were helping large enterprise customers like grant makers, like your Kellogg Foundations, your Ford Foundations, your End of Better Health, your Community Coffees, devise not only how they gave their money, but who they gave it to, and then also helping them manage um, the success of those initiatives and programs, right? So those awards. And as we began to grow as a company, we realized that we could no longer help the smallest nonprofits as an agency because we just didn't have enough time to do everything that we needed um, to do with organizations and definitely not based on their budgets, right? Um, right. We would go under, right? We would have went under so much faster um, right. than any company could imagine if you're working with different sectors. Um, and so we started to think about how we could essentially productize the service and deliver through a software solution. And so in November 2016, I was talking to my marketing director and he was like, hey, he was, I was telling him about the idea. Um, and he was like, hey, I went to Stanford. I got a buddy. He's a software engineer. He could probably help you think through this idea that you have um, for right. a tech company. And then it was, we were even calling a tech company a product. Um, so I went out to the Bay, I sat down, I met with Ishmael, who would stay on board for a very long time and is still an advisor to the company. Um, and he created a 30-page specifications deck with wireframes for exempt, for essentially what will become Exempt Me Now first, and we, then we rebrand to Resilia. Um, and so I came back to Louisiana, sat on it for a while, then began to look for an engineering team. Um, now, one hiccup that I faced that many others can avoid is that because I wasn't technical, when I went out to hire an engineering team, it was hard to manage them, right? Oh, because I can imagine that. They have one up on you because you can't read, you can't see if they are doing their sprints when they're supposed to yeah. or delivering and they're giving you excuses for missing deadlines. And you're like, well, shoot, is this legitimate or not? Because you're not technical. One thing that helped me greatly was going back to Ishmael and hiring him as a technical consultant to oversee mm. my engineers. And so That's because good. he was essential, he was on my side, right? And so right. he ensured that they were accountable, that they stayed on track. He reported back to me and he helped me a lot to bring up my lingo, right? And understanding of the tech side of tech, right? right. Um, but for me, I was like, okay, I'm about to take this service. I'm about to productize it and deliver it through a software solution because we are seeing every sector that we could imagine getting disrupted by technology. So either sure. I'm going to be a disruptor or I'm going to be disrupted by it. So let me pick my, you know, pick which one I want uh, to do. And I wanted to be a disruptor. And, you know, the rest <laughs> is history. Um, but for me, it definitely was this thinking around, okay, how can I utilize technology to solve the problems that I was seeing in our industry that were very um, antiquated? What we were using was antiquated and dated. Um, and how could I democratize the nonprofit philanthropy space, space in the process? Um, and so what I feel like for SAS, I think that's going to be very common. So for anyone that's like, oh, well, I'm not technical. How can I start a tech company? You're going to see more and more, and you are people who are industry experts in their space 
who don't have a technical background, but understand the problems that exist in their sector. Yeah, uh, Jewel Burke-Solomon, who I'm sure you know, uh, with uh, Google Startups, was on the show, and she had a really great line about looking at, uh, as an entrepreneur solving a problem, she said, you know, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Yeah. And really understanding this. So looking at it from the technical background to further expound on what you said, it's really, you don't need to know C++ or whatever code you want to say, or some code or HTML or whatever, or you don't need to know artificial intelligence. What's more important, what what is the real issue is, what problem are you trying to solve? What's the journey for your ideal person, customer? What are the barriers that they're having? What are the issues really following, falling, falling in love with figuring out all the problems and the journey that that target ideal customer is? Once you know that, you'll the right solution will come about. You know, that's, that's not me. That's from Jewel Burke Solomon. So yeah, if you're good at building teams, right? If you're good good at like putting together people. Um, and that's what I felt that I was really good at executing an idea. Yes. So, um, but you, but but you built, you were able to get get this and have some money through actually already having a business. So, uh, talk about the process. Do you think it's still more important before you raise money to have some money first, or how would you go about advising overall the best approach to raising money? Because you've obviously been successful. So, having money first, do you mean putting your own money into your company first, and yes. then? So my friend Harold and I, Harold, who's um, he's your accountability partner. Well, I think that we're just like founders in the struggle, right? I think that everybody's like founders in the struggle. Um, And we were having this conversation um, on Clubhouse and via a separate chat in which we were he was saying, no, don't use your own money. Don't use your own money. And I'm like, Harold. So you invested in startups where you don't, where the founders don't have any skin in the game, like none. He was like, all right, when you say it like that. But I think because founders that don't look like us, white founders yeah. go out and they, they don't raise, have to they do don't it. Put any of their yeah. money into their companies, right? And they go out and essentially raise money off ideas. I don't think we have that luxury. And even with this newfound wave of optimism around black founders, we'll see. Still, I'm skeptical, but go ahead. They're still not going to be giving us money off of no idea. So <laughs> you kind of don't have a choice um, but to put money, something into your startup to get it off the ground, um, particularly if you're not technical, right? Because who's going to actually build it if it's software? Um, and so I'm still a believer that, yeah, you should be like the first your first investment into your company. Now, looking back, would I have invested as much as I've invested Maybe, maybe not. Right. Um, and then to Harold's point, like he was dipping into like his 401k, he was pulling money out here, he sold the house, he used the, the earnings for the house and put it into the tech company. And yeah, so that's like, exactly what Rodney Williams did too. I'm not sure if I'd do that either. Like, and yeah, just go. Yeah. And so that's this is what we were doing, right? And so right. if looking back, would I have done that again? Maybe because I'm here now and I've been able to like recoup it, but if I had failed, I would have been hurt. I, would have yeah. been hurt. I mean, it's easy to say because it went because it went well, but you know that. It's easy so it's to say to because it went well. <laughs> it's like yeah, you took the shot and you made it, but if you're like uh, LeBron James, you pass it, Danny Green missing, you don't make it to the you know you don't win the finals, then everybody's saying that that wasn't the right shot. Who knows? Yeah, I think that there's something to say about being persistent um, and continuously on in the realm of means, right? Um, and so I think that we have to, and we have become more creative, right? Don going, um, crowdfunding, like going that yeah. route. And so there are more, there are just way more options today than there was when I was, uh, started Oh yeah, yeah, that's that. definitely true. Yeah. You made it. <laughs> it's amazing that you came to this point because there were a whole lot less options then. That's, that, that's, that's certainly the, that's certainly the case. And, it, and then was only like five years ago. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Five <laughs> years is a, is a, is a. Hell, a year ago. Look at 2019 to 2020. I mean, it moves at an exponential rate. Um, so when you see founders, because uh, you're also an investor, right? I am. I would consider myself an angel operator. Okay. So when you, from what you've seen and from your experience from raising money, uh, what do founders do wrong most often when they go about raising money? Um, they think they know it all and they don't. 
right? Right. And I say that because I was listening into a founder just talk about how they wanted to raise capital and how they didn't want for investors to like draw them along, how they were sending them these updates, et cetera. But I told that person, I was like, well, include me on in your updates. I'll give you some feedback. And they sent me their update. And I'm like, no investor is going to take this update seriously just because it wasn't in a traditional format. It was, it was very like vague. Um, he was trying to have like conversation updates and that's not how, you know, you send out updates. It's like, here's what we're doing. Here's some bullet points. Here's some metrics. Here's some updates or ways you can help. Like you keep it simple, short. And it seems like that because he had no idea that his update could be like literally shooting him in the foot. Right. right. Um, and so I think it's a lot about not knowing, thinking that we're actually like killing it, but maybe not so much. Right. Maybe, maybe we need to send us around to a couple other founders who have um, some insights around, they don't have even have to raise a lot of money. Maybe they won one pitch competition. Maybe they they know how to put together a deck. You know, you can Google some of this stuff as well or follow like first round um, or Y Combinator. And they have a lot of these resources on their website. Um, And so I do feel that sometimes some of the biggest mistakes that we make are, in just ensuring that we run like a tight ship when we're yes. fundraising and then also having together like your deal room like people die because of their deal room on the great vibe we're trying to raise capital because investors what do you mean by deal room so your deal room is basically your where your due diligence is so when people ask about where your financials are um, can you send over your financials? Can you send over your go-to-market strategy? Can you send over your team bios? Can you send over this, this, and that, right? That go All of that information, all of those files go inside of your deal room. Um, okay. And that's the due diligence that is going to be done on your company to see if it's viable for investment. And so sometimes, like, you know, I'll be looking at something and if I'm like, oh, I'm interested. I heard that you do some investing. Um, here's my deck, right? And so they're like, oh, I got this deck. And I was like, oh, well, can you share X, Y, and Z with me? And then right. I don't hear from them <laughs> ever again. Right. Uh, because they they didn't think about, oh, crap, well, people might ask for other stuff. Right. And so you definitely have to have a tight deal room. And I do feel that if you have a tight deal room, um, it's going to get you at least further in the investment process. Got it. That sometimes investors, that's how they weed you out. They'll ask for stuff and they're like, okay, let's see if they... That, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. That makes sense. Okay, that, that's, that, that's that's good advice. Um, so what do you think is the most important in building a team or bringing on a co-founder? You, you don't have a co-founder, but you do build a team. So what do you look for? What's most important? Uh, alignment with the mission, character, or some, some skill set that is missing? Yeah, so we always look heavy for culture fit. Um, okay, like, culture what does this person get along with others on our team? Do they embody like the mission of what we're building? Are they excited about what we're building? Um, and then from there, we actually look at everything else, right? And so, so how do you evaluate the culture fit? To tell walk me through that seems like a process that has a lot of intangibles, but maybe you have a process to how you figure out culture fit. How do you go about that? I mean, it could be something as simple as like, oh, we believe that Black Lives Matter, right? You probably not a culture fit. I'm not, you know, you're probably right. not a culture fit if you don't believe that for us. Um, but it's also like you believe that technology should be accessible for everyone, right? Irregardless of like handicaps, irregardless of um, you know, other key things that may be um prohibiting someone to access, say, our website or something like that nature, right? Um, you believe that we can essentially democratize our space um, in a way that brings more transparency and oversight and equitable practices for organizations led by brown and black people, by um, LGBTQ community. So whatever that may be, right? And so these are things that we're looking for in the makeup of people who are coming into our company, just because if you are staunch like pro-Trump running around with a flag outside, you're probably not going to fit probably with not us. Fit. You're not going to fit with us either, so don't feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> and so I remember my team member, one of my team members, and she's African-American, and she had worked in other tech companies before, and the week after George Floyd um, was murdered, I gave a talk, right, on our all-hands 
about my me growing up in the South, right, and dealing with racism, et cetera. And she said that she just like clutched, like she was just like cringing because she was just like, how are people going to take this, right? Like, is there going to be like backlash? I'm like, girl, first of all, take what? Say what? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> if you have a problem with what I said, this is probably not the, the place. Turn down for what? There you go. I like it. There you yeah. go. Yeah. And I was like, this is why more Black founders need to be in position to yep. build companies. Because the fact that she like was scared, right? She didn't know how people were going to receive it. Because you're so used to like a white man getting in and saying like whatever the PR person scripted him to say. Or Which they would have told you to, you, well, you shouldn't say this, you know. The, it's gonna yeah, like we're not dealing with that. Like Coin um, Base said, they like, we're not talking about this in our our uh, in our in company, right? And so that's their, he's, they're building that culture that, oh, we don't talk about politics. We don't talk about social issues with inside of our company, right? That's a culture that right. they're now building around that. Although he also... Two months after George Floyd made a whole post. I, see, I don't even think that that's read like and this is what this is what makes me uh, what irritates me on that, because <clears throat> I think when I and, and I've talked to some of my white colleagues about this, that you associate politics with my humanity. This is an issue like we're not Black Lives Matter is not political to me. No, it's about. Do you believe like we're not talking about cutting taxes? That's not the that's not the that's not the discussion here. So. <laughs> right. And so if we. If we were like, OK, like, I get that. Like, I don't think I don't, I don't think if somebody has the view that we should get more in taxes and less in taxes. That, right. Right. But if someone is someone has a view on understanding uh, equality, humanity, and they don't understand that we if we're not having that discussion, then by default, we're going to have a we're going to have an environment that's going to be less inclusive. And you're saying that's OK. And see, that, that's the problem I get into this not when they tie everything that's dealing with our issues when we're talking about just not being killed by police. That's not political. No, like equal pay. Like how did how does equal pay political? Like me wanting to have equivalent pay to my counterpart who does the same job. What? How is this even political? How did we make COVID nineteen political? Like, yeah, like wearing a mask. Like data is suddenly suddenly political. So it, it's yeah, crazy. It's, it's crazy. It, it is crazy, but it is where we are because. <clears throat> This is why disruption is about two things and the platform is about two things, but we're about disrupting common narratives and constructs because the narratives reinforce the constructs. What you just said, when people talk about politics and they equate us talking about equity and equality, those are not political. That's about our existence. And that's why I, I, I push back hard when people, I had, a, I had one show called White Christians and Privilege with a, with, a, with a pastor to get him to understand, like, listen, like this is... I don't care what your politics is. If you're a Republican, libertarian, none of you should be okay with a president that can't denounce white supremacy. Like this is, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what you don't understand. <laughs> like this is not a, and so. Heck, you know, I, even I think in Louisiana, they didn't vote for David Duke because they were like, all right, all right, all right, all right. He might get elected now. Shoot, maybe. <laughs> now they voted for him at the state level, but they were like, okay, we can't send this man to Congress. We can't. They were like, so we're going to vote for the crook because we're not going to vote for the racist. Yeah. I take a crook <laughs> over the racist any day. Me too. I was <laughs> so like, I'm hey, just saying. <laughs> hey, but the thing is, people people understand, right? That lets you right. know that people, they understand. <laughs> exactly. That there are differences here. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk a little bit about leadership development and self-awareness. So uh, one of my statements is that, you know, part of being self-aware is having people around you, those accountability partners that wound you with the truth sometime, the truth that you may not want to hear. Uh, can you think of the last time that happened and what that truth might have been? The last time that that has happened. Um, so I would probably say, shoot, my investors always trying to send me like double rounds of truth, right? Um, but yeah, so I will, I'll use that as an example. And that was primarily around like, um, how we were hiring. Like they want us to hire from the top down, but they were like, oh, you should hire a VP instead of this um, operations role that was much higher. So like a head. And I was like, okay, but we find someone that admits, then they meet the bill, et cetera. But that was like one of those hard facts where my investor, this particular investor, just like his mechanics around hiring. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it now. So this is like, that definitely was like a a hard truth around just kind of sitting back and like running the full process and then taking into consideration of like what 
he was thinking around who we should hire and what that person should look like and what it shouldn't look like. Um, and so I feel like I always face like hard truths with my investors related to like business or what I'm looking at um, in general. Um, I'm trying to think of like a personal like hard truth. I'm, I'm trying to say unless time somebody wounds you with the truth, I'll ask a different version of kind of this question. <clears throat> What's an important truth you have that a lot of people disagree with you on? So I actually believe that people should have the right to express how they feel. Okay. Um, I think about this and I'm not sure if you're on club clubhouse. Um, I'm not yet. You can give me there. I haven't been there oh, yet. I've heard about I'll it. invite you on. Oh, you thank would like you. it particularly because of what you're doing here. Um, so I'll hustle some invites cause you know, it's still a hustle game. So one controversial conversation on clubhouse, which is an audio platform, um, social media platform was that essentially they should ban people, right? So they should ban people from talking about specific things, right? And so that could be like Jews and Blacks, and then it escalates into things that become anti-Semitic. And I agree with that. Like, yeah, if you're going down that hole, you might, you probably need to get shut down before you go down that hole. Right. But I don't believe in like muting people um, unless it's like going to do some physical damage um, cause I want to know, I want to know who across the street from me. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> like what, what, tell me more, tell me more of how you really feel. Right. Yep. And so I feel that we are in a time where it's like, oh, well that person was, I think it becomes dangerous when it's like, oh, well that person was accused of X, Y, and Z. They can't get on this platform. I'm like, how are you not allowed to get on a public platform? Can they not use Google? I mean, it just, it's not gotta logical be careful. to me. Um, yeah. and that was like Russell Simmons came onto the platform. Oh my God. It was like, oh, they're probably like, oh, oh yeah, I, I can, <clears throat> I can see how that could cause controversy. Yes. And so I got it and I got it. Like I completely understood like the whole sentiment behind it, but I'm like, man, this is interesting because it creates a, it, it's a conversation, right. Of like, what is allowable and what's not. Um, and it's such a hard, it's such a hard thing to actually, a line to walk because it's like, yeah, definitely like that's triggering, but that's like triggering for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But then someone else might do something like, dang, they may have actually not knew that that was triggering, uh, but they learned today. Right. And so yeah, you can yeah. learn today. And so it might be a very good learning opportunity for someone. Sure. Um, but we're just such a like call out culture where people want to like ruin you that people can't learn publicly um, you can't learn those type of lessons, right, in in the public, um, yeah. even if it wasn't intentional that you were trying to learn that lesson right. in the public eyes. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's probably something that most people don't necessarily. I actually agree with you too. We, I've, I've had someone similar. I want to say Will Hayes said something similar like this, and you know. People are naturally or like people think they're it's actually natural to be irrational. How else can you explain? I don't know. All of human history. Trump is president. I don't know. Here, here and there. I mean, there is people. Um, I, I think I had Robert Greene on the show and he had um, his, his latest book was The Laws of Human Nature. And, and the second rule talks about irrationality. He said the first rule of uh, uh, to be rational is the first understand that you are irrational. So I think trying to just take people out. Because they have these beliefs. I mean, I think it's also more important. There's some people that are just now, they're just going out here trying to cause trouble, whatever. Then I think you get rid of those people. But if some people have these beliefs because of something that's triggering in their background, we have to understand this because it's not like we can just, we still got to live with these people. They still, they're still next door, right? They're still there. And so figuring that out, uh, I mean, I, I chat like I, I know some people that are Trump supporters and I say very plainly, Trump is racist. And they say, and, and God got offended with me for all these reasons. Say, well, you know, I feel like you're calling me a racist. I said, this is what I said. I said, Trump is racist. And I said, I got all these reasons and I have all these facts. Yes. You can choose to accept them or not, but this is what it is. And so that, that not a deal breaker for you. It's not, but don't get offended if I tell you what I believe is a fact based upon what I've seen and what I've heard. Absolutely. And, and, Right. And, I, and I, so I had these conversations and I, I'm but I'm not afraid. And I think people on the progressive side and the left, like I will have a conversation with I have a conversation with a racist for this reason. Like I want to embarrass him or her for their beliefs. And I'll have that public exchange to show you why everything they believe is without any type of substance. 
and it's something you shouldn't believe. And I can do that without canceling their voice. I'll cancel their voice through my persuasion and argument. That's how I think we got to be. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's not particularly if you're on Clubhouse. It's like if there was a Trump room, oh, man, they would try to get it shut down. But there should be a Trump room. If there's one, I want to hear it. The president of the United States. Like, what do you mean? Oh, this is a white supremacist room. Yeah, probably. But he's still the president of the United States. And and millions of people voted for him. And even when prayerfully he's going to lose 40 to 45 percent of the country is voting for him. That's a fact. Right. And you can't mute those people. So no, that's like that's probably something I, I believe that I held that. Yeah, you should meet those people. And I'm in Ohio. You, this is I think this uh, uh, Savitra. I think this is because where you're from. You're in Louisiana. Like I, yeah. I, I'm in I'm in Cincinnati. If I muted every person like that, like. I probably couldn't do business. Like just a lot of people like that. You got to, you have to learn how to deal and communicate. And I say, shut down their points in a way without, without, without muting them, just mute them through beating them in the argument. Like that's what we got to do. Exactly. I was like, that's why, you know, Trump won is because of that, because of that, right. That mentality around um, just like, Oh, they don't exist. You know, muting them, not ignore. I'm like, okay, that's how Trump won the first time. Yeah, we, we're not going. We're not going to pretend here. We're not going to live yeah, in a bubble. I, I can tell we, you in the South, we were like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, I'm, I'm in Cincinnati, which, by the way, is as far as you can go in the North and still be in the South. Like, I wasn't one of those people that was like surprised. And right. if you don't pay attention and you stay in your own bubble, we can also do the same thing. We can just keep reinforcing things that we believe to be true. Like these people are, are are the outliers. They're not. We got to figure out how to engage them. Uh, as we get ready to wrap up, a couple more questions. Uh, you have a committee of three, living or dead, to advise you on business or life. Who are these three people and why? Um, my mother, Melody Hobson, and oh, she'd be a good one. Um, maybe like Bill Gates because he's like the king of philanthropy. Okay. Uh, final question. You have a billboard or Google ad that summarizes or states your beliefs what is that statement and why um get out of your own way get out of your own way yeah hopefully self-explanatory yeah that is that is um i do have one final question to to, um you 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 said when you first started that you when you started the business you wanted to you felt like you can make change and be in charge of doing it all at the same time you still feel that way um i do i do i'm still hopeful (laughs) (laughs) Savitra Wilson, it's a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. Thank you.